I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, we travel to the heart of Brussels in Belgium and uncover the complicated legacy of the famous comic book hero Tintin. Right in the heart of Brussels, very close to a rather amusing statue of mannequin Piss, a little boy urinating, lies a beautifully painted mural. It's unmissable for it covers an entire wall of a three-storied building and features two fictional characters created in 1929. and so popular became those characters that the comic they feature in came to be translated into over 70 languages and has sold over 200 million copies to date the mural merges well with the landscape of the street as it shows three floors worth of staircases and a fire escape these look 3d and real enough and it seems that the two characters are actually descending the stairs and leaving immediately in pursuit of the next adventure right at the top is tintin a young belgian reporter and adventurer who finds himself in dangerous situations ahead of him is his loyal companion the dog snowy further down is my personal favorite character from the series the merchant marine sea captain haddock known for his alcoholism and creative swearing the scene is actually from the 1956 volume the calculus affair where they attempt to save their physicist friend professor calculus who is at risk of getting kidnapped by two ro nations I remember enjoying reading Tintin at school, wafting through its pages, soaking in the visuals and the speech bubble dialogues. I used to chuckle at the antics of the sometimes drunken dog Snowy and guffaw at the theatrics of Captain Haddock. So chancing upon the mural in the heart of Brussels and seeing comic book stores adorned with Tintin paraphernalia warmed the cockles of my heart. Belgium was the home country of the iconic Hergé, the creator of Tintin. It was a nostalgic return to childhood. a time when things were simpler and all one needed was a volume of tintin borrowed from the school library to get lost in a world of adventure but the adult me also reread tintin and while i still enjoyed it i could not look away from the obvious problems with the book even a cursory look at the first book tintin in the land of the soviets would make one aware of the blatant anti-communist propaganda the bolsheviks were presented as villains motivated by personal greed and a desire to cheat the world in the volume tintin discovers buried the hideout where lenin trotsky and stalin have collected together wealth stolen from the people hergé defended himself saying that in belgium at the time a devout catholic nation anything, anything bolshevik, bolshevik was atheist but probably the most searing critique of tintin should be reserved for tintin in the congo like many european nations Belgium was a colonizer. Roughly 98% of Belgium's overseas territory was just one colony known as the Belgian Congo, which was about 76 times larger than Belgium itself. The colony was founded in 1908 following the transfer of sovereignty from the Congo Free State, which was the personal property of the Belgium's king Leopold II. 
Belgian rule in the Congo was based on the colonial trinity of state, missionary and private company interests. To justify its presence on the territory, the Belgian authorities enthusiastically promoted the idea that Congo was a lush green paradise with vast nature reserves that would benefit from scientific research. Cut to the present day. Consider this news report from Brussels, filed just a week ago, on 18 September 2023. A monument erected as a tribute to the first Belgian colonizers in Congo in Brussels, Parc du Sincantere, was vandalized with red paint. The sculpture, made of white uval stone, has been the target of vandalism since it was up. The red paint is a symbol of the blood of the Congolese people. Also at the receiving end of it has been King Leopold II, the large statue of Belgian king on horseback in Place du Trône has already been defaced in red paint several times. And for good reason. In the period from 1885 to 1908, many atrocities were perpetrated in the Congo Free State, which today is known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was at the time a state under the absolute rule of King Leopold II. These atrocities were particularly associated with the labor policies used to collect natural rubber for export. Together with epidemic disease, famine and a falling birth rate caused by these disruptions. Together with epidemic disease, famine and a falling birth rate caused by these disruptions, the atrocities contributed to a sharp decline in the Congolese population. The magnitude of the population fall over the period is disputed, with modern estimates ranging from 1.5 to 13 million. Most estimates, however, agree that as much as half of the population of Congo did not survive. And now let's get back to the volume Tintin in the Congo. In the original work, Tintin is shown at a blackboard addressing a class of Congolese children. My, My dear, dear friends, friends, I'm, I'm going, going to, to talk, talk to you about your, your fatherland, fatherland Belgium. Belgium. The panel is telling because it strips the Congolese people of their claim to their own land and identity. They are to be seen as slaves to the Belgian Empire. In another panel, he resolves a dispute over a straw hat, leading a member of the tribe to say, White, white master, master very fair, fair. him give, give half hat to, each, to one. each one, him, him very, good, very white. good white. Hergé drew the Congolese people with big lips and no hair, speaking broken French, who looked to Tintin as a kind of a white saviour. Hergé presents Tintin as a big game hunter, accidentally killing 15 antelope as opposed to the one needed for the evening meal. He also kills an ape to wear its skin, rams a rifle vertically into a crocodile's open mouth, kills an elephant for ivory, stones a buffalo, and in earlier editions, even drills a hole into a rhinoceros before planting dynamite in its body, blowing it up from the inside. Such scenes reflect the popularity of big game hunting among affluent visitors in sub-Saharan Africa during the 1930s. One of the core arguments in favor of Hergé has been that he was merely reflecting this attitude of the times, and the books need to be read in that context. He was not being deliberately racist, but more patronizing than anything. But 1930s Belgium also had literature by the likes of André Guédé and Albert Londres that was critical of the colonial regime. Comic book historian Mark McKinney noted that other Franco-Belgian comic artists of the same period have chosen to depict the native Africans in a more favorable light. Citing the examples of G.J.'s 1939 work Blondie and Shoe Black, in which protagonists are adopted brothers, one white, the other black. Or Tefetondu, in which the Congolese aid the Belgians against their American antagonists. 
Hershey definitely made revisions to Tintin as his worldview changed. For example, the panel in which Tintin teaches Congolese kids about their fatherland Belgium was replaced by a lesson in mathematics. But at the time of writing, Hershey adhered to being fashionably colonial. This brings us to a central question. How do we separate the art from the artist? How do we consume artifacts of popular culture created in a different time? Criticizing too much results in excessive cancel culture, where books could get banned. Doing too little means ignoring genuine criticism. How do we walk this fine balance? The balance comes from accepting and acknowledging flaws and failings. When we pass on that piece of popular culture to a friend or a child, we must contextualize it by telling them what exactly is wrong with it and why we should call out such things if we see them in our lives. Only then are we doing justice to the people it has victimized. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YB Travel 42 on Instagram.